Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11. And here in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, in continuation to the church, remember we see this shift, what's happening in the church in Corinth, chapter 3. Uh, he says, you know, I speak to you guys like babies. You guys, you know, we, you, you were on milk and you're still on milk. But then you see this shift where the leaven is addressed. Uh, 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 anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, uh, 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 covetous, a uh, reviler, a drunkard, you know, he says anyone named a brother. You know, don't not even to eat with somebody like that. Uh, he says, he says, I didn't mean to not keep company with the world. He says, anybody named a brother. Uh, and so you see this cleansing as the, the Lord is cleaning house in Corinth. The Lord is cleaning his church. He's using Paul. Paul is a vessel. And he also uses those in the household of Chloe. Remember in chapter 10 last week, uh, in verse 15, I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. He doesn't say that in chapter 2. He doesn't say that in chapter 3 or chapter 4. Because where were the wise? Where were the wise? Look at the, 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 uh, uh, the works of the flesh that were in the church. And so now that that has been dealt with, then you get into these passages like chapter 10. You see the shift where it's it, it, a, 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 a push towards maturity in Christ. The encouragement, okay, let's put these elementary things to the side and let's continue on. Let's mature in Christ. Let's move on to perfection. And so here in chapter 11, you know, the same thing. Verse 13, in chapter 11, verse 13, 1 Corinthians, he says, verse 13, judge among yourselves. Judge among yourselves. He doesn't say judge among yourselves in chapter 2, chapter 3, but now he says it. Why? Because the leaven's been dealt with. Now, it's very important here in verse 16, not to get ahead of myself, but verse 16, if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. So this, what he's about to teach here, what he's about to teach us and show us, it's like, okay, we're not going to have anybody who seems to be contentious or wants to debate about it or wants to be quarrelsome about it. We're not going to have any beef. We're not going to have any beef. We have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. It's not a matter of which, okay, let's fight about this. I mean, if somebody says, uh, okay, I, 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 like a covering, like in, in verse uh, four, uh, every man praying or prophesying, having his head, head covered dishonors his head. Now, it's like, okay, uh, somebody wants to wear a baseball cap, you know, okay, you know, I'm not going to have any beef with that. I'm not going to have any beef with that whatsoever. But at the same time, you know, if, if somebody starts to, uh, a, a guy has a baseball cap and he starts to pray and, you know, starts to prophesy, you know, I might say, hey, look, let chapter 11, let's look at these passages, let's study these passages. But if the person's still going to wear a baseball cap, I'm not going to fight with them. I'm not going to argue with them. But then if he says, hey, let's go grave soaking. Okay, now we're going to have some contention. Now we're going to have some beef. He says, okay, you know, now I want to um, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 call the glitter the Holy Spirit. Put the glitter in the rafters, have it sent down, have it fall down, and we refer to that as the Holy Spirit. And we're going to have some contention. You see, doctrine, sound doctrine, has to be sound doctrine. Now we're going to get, one, when I mentioned verse 5 or verse 4, we're going to explain that, we're going to touch on that. But it's very important to understand these things. Also remember in chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7, when Paul says, um, 
you know, when he makes this suggestion about singleness, being single. And he says, you know, that you guys, I wish that you guys could be like me, single. Why? It's not to be single for the sake of, oh, wow, you know, I'm single and I don't have, you know, these responsibilities. I don't have that. You know, now I can, you know, be free of this and I can go uh, uh, to the bars. I can do this. No, it's not that, you know, he encourages singleness, not for those aspects, but he encourages singleness in chapter 7, verse 32, because he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. In verse 34, for the woman, the unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. You see, it's not to be single for the sake of being single. It's to be single so you know you can be carefree about the things of the world and focus on the Lord. But then also remember verse 29, from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Why? Because the focus is on the Lord, pleasing the Lord. And then at the same time, you know, in, in, in still in chapter 7, when he says in verse 40, but she is happier if, if she remains as she is. This is referring to the widows. He says she is happier if she remains as she is. According to my judgment, he says, translate, according to my opinion and my counsel. And I think I also have the spirit of God. Notice who these, I mean, it's not Joe Schmo who's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. No, the Lord, the word became flesh and the Lord was so, had so much intimacy with Paul and Paul with the Lord and the spirit was so palpable in Paul that the Lord says, okay, Paul, your writings, your letters, your exhortations to the churches, boom, that's my word. That's how dead Paul was. Remember Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, a lot of times Christians lean on those passages. You know, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. And I'm not trying to say that you cannot lean on those passages. You certainly can. But the question is, are you dead? Somebody says, oh, I'm crucified with Christ. Let's go to the strip club. Well, there's no crucifixion there. That's the old man who hasn't been reckoned dead. You need to reckon the old man dead. Oh yeah, I'm crucified in Christ. Let's uh, uh, ladies' night. Let's go to the clubs. Let's get drunk. Well, then, you're not crucified with Christ because it is not. You know, Paul says, "I'm crucified with Christ." It is no, it is no longer I who live. It is no longer I who live. So when Paul says, "I am crucified with Christ," praise be to the Lord. That's Paul saying that. And we can certainly say that, but the question is, it is, is it no longer I who live? Is it no longer you who live? Is it Christ who lives in you? Because it's like, wow, you know, you know, I'm crucified with Christ. Let's go to the strip club. You're not dead. It is, I'm crucified with Christ. Let's go do crack. Let's go do pornography. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. You're not dead. The old man, the old woman is alive and well. It is no longer I who live. That's key. That's why we carry our cross. The instrument of our death, we carry our cross. And don't forget, the Lord himself even had help carrying his cross. It's the fellowship of the saints. You have problems with your cross, I'll help you. I have problems with my cross, you help me. We help each other die. We help each other in our death. Our crucifixion. 
So chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now, follow me as I follow Christ. That's how it translates. Some translations straight up say, follow me as I follow Christ. But it's imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. This is another Paul statement. This is Paul's statement. You say, wait a second, how, how come you make that distinction? You say, this is Paul's statement, just like, you know, I am crucified with Christ. Well, yes, that's Paul's statement. I am crucified with Christ, but that's Paul. And we can get there. Maybe we are there. Maybe you are there. And praise be to the Lord. But if you say I'm crucified with Christ, the question is, do you live or does Christ live in you? That's a big key. You have to make that distinction for yourself and your temple. The same way I have to do it for mine. And in Paul's statement here in verse 1, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ or follow me. This is Paul's statement. Now, you have to make this distinction because if this were just a blanket statement for all Christians, let's hit the rewind button and go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, time-wise, on a, on a timeline, where the leaven is still in the church. Remember in chapter 5, your rejoicing isn't good? He says, take that brother, commit, take that person and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In that same chapter, he says, you know, anybody named a brother, you got to get rid of the leaven. You got to deal with the leaven. That's chapter five. So before chapter five, let's say first Corinthians chapter three, when Paul says, you know, I speak as to babies. You guys are on milk. You're still on milk. Three years on milk, arrested development, no growth, no maturity in Christ. Now, would you follow such a person? Would you follow a baby? Would you follow? Take, for example, all the Christians you know. You might know one Christian. You might know five Christians. You might know 500. You might know 5,000. Who would you not just follow? Who would you imitate? Who? Who would you imitate? In your span of, say, 500 that you know personally, not social media, you know. I got 10,000 followers. I got 50,000 followers. The guy committed suicide. Why? He had no friends, you know. But look, he had 5,000, 50,000, 100,000. I'm talking about real friends, tangible friends. Not the fake ones. Real ones. So say you have 500. Who among that 500 would you imitate? As a Berean. As a Berean. Not as... You know, uh, uh, full of the the uh, um, the outpouring, wa walking according to the flesh. Now we're in these earth suits. You know, we understand that we're in these earth suits. You're gonna have the ups and downs, just as we studied on Wednesday. You're gonna have the ups and downs, but the 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 the, the overall span, the overall the, in the grand scheme of things, you're moving upward. You know, in that in in, in growth, you're gonna have the ups and downs, but you're still moving upward. Learning from your mistakes, not, re, you know, re, repeat sin, repeat, repeat offender. You know, oh, I got this habitual sin. It's habitual, it's habitual, it's habitual. That's what people say. Well, look for the door. We studied that already. Look for the door, the way of escape. And let's move on to perfection. Go and sin no more. You're still going to sin, but you're going to sin less and less and less and less. But who would you follow? Who would you imitate? Say you have a brother that's strung up on drugs, pornography, alcohol, does his meth on the side, 
has his girlfriends on, he's married, has his five girlfriends on the side. Are you going to imitate that guy? Or are you not even going to eat with such a person as you get rid of the leaven in your life? You see? I wonder, you know, three years, arrested development. Why were the pastors silent? Why were the elders silent? Why was there nobody, nobody to say, hey, this is wrong, you guys. Pastor, elder, deacon, bishop. Why was there nobody? Except those in the household of Chloe. Who notified Paul as their covering. Remember, the, the covering is always male. And it's so beautiful to see this in action. But who would you follow? Who would you imitate in your sphere of Christians? The guy who's on his fifth marriage? The lady who's strung out on crack? Who would you imitate? Who would you follow? Now, turn with me really quick to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians 3, verse 17, Brother Paul says this to the church in Philippi. He says, in verse 17, chapter 3, Philippians, he says, Brethren, join in following my example. My example, he says, of himself. And note those, or mark and aim for those And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. This pattern here, this word in the Greek is to as a mold for imitation. Given by the Lord. You have us for a pattern. Paul says of himself and those who so walk. The Lord provides these people as a pattern, male, female. You hear me make mention of beautiful, beautiful Paul. You hear me make mention of beautiful, beautiful Chloe. Beautiful Phoebe. Those in the household of Chloe, beautiful Timothy, beautiful Titus, beautiful Eunice, beautiful Lois, beautiful Lydia, molds, examples, patterns. Join in following my example and note those who so walk. Mark those who so walk. Aim at those who so walk. To do what? To follow them as they follow Christ. To imitate them as they imitate Christ. You see? Not the drunkard. Not the reviler. Not the extortioner. Not the sexually immoral. Don't follow those as patterns. Now, turn with me to uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Pastor to pastor. Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy. In verse uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Pastor Paul says this to Pastor Timothy, young Pastor Timothy. He says, hold fast the pattern, the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, hold fast to this pattern. You see, sound words which you heard from me. You see, teacher to student and now the student is a teacher. Timothy, using Paul as a pattern. You see, Timothy himself becomes a pattern for the church. Turn with me to Titus. In Titus chapter 2, another pastor, an overseer in the fellowship of the saints. In Titus chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says this, pastor to pastor, likewise exhorting the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern. You see? So, Paul is a a pattern for Titus, 
And in the course of time, Titus follows Paul. Titus imitates Paul. Titus becomes a teacher. And now Titus becomes a pattern himself. You see the next generation of righteousness. In all things, he says in verse 7, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Now, when you walk in Christ and you're intimate with Him and you have closeness with Him, people will hate you. The world will hate you. Christians will even hate you. They'll make fun of you. Oh, you're such a legalist. You're going too far with this Christian business. You're too hardcore. Well, number one, there's no other way to live. There's no other way to live. You abide in Christ. Be hardcore. People will say, oh, don't have your, don't have, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Number one, you are no earthly good. That's stupid counsel. That's counsel of a fool. You are no earthly good. You're a Christian. You are no earthly good. The world is not worthy of you. You say, whoa, what are you saying? The world is not worthy? Well, that's what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 36, or Hebrews 11, Hebrews eleven thirty-six. Still others had trials of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and, imp- and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. You see, the world was not worthy of these saints. You see, they were not worthy. And women, in verse 35, women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. I love this so much. Look at these beautiful women here. Oh, you know, you're being tortured. You have the chance to be free, but you're not accepting deliverance. Why? Because you might obtain the better resurrection. That's what you're looking forward to. You see these hardcore, beautiful people here, men, women. And the world, verse 38, the world was not worthy of them. So that's why I say the world is not worthy of you. People say, oh, don't be so heavenly minded. You're you're no earthly good. Fools. They're stupid. Be heavenly minded. So going back to Titus 2, now Titus becomes an example. Now, when you have this, you know, since the world hates you, the closer you get to Christ, the more intimacy that you have with Him, the world will hate you, even in the church. They will hate you. They'll call you a legalist. They'll make fun of you. But the question is, when they... they, Oppose you. As is written in verse 8, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed. This is um, Titus chapter 2. In verse 8, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed. But wait a second. Say, okay, this opposition that you have, is what this person saying true? Because if that what that person saying is true, that's one thing. That's, that's one matter. But when you have intimacy with Christ, it's like, wait a second, you know. And, and, and you teach the word and you live in the word, you abide in the word. People are going to say whatever. But you know what? It's almost like condemnation on themselves because they have nothing evil to say of you. Oh, 
oh, this guy's so mean. This guy says this. This girl's so mean. She's too hardcore, you know. Yeah, I got drunk last night, but yeah, they, all they do is just judge and this and that. Okay, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about drunkenness? What does the Bible say about reviling? What does the Bible say about being an extortioner, you know, uh, 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 sexually immoral? Ah, so what if I cheat on my taxes? It's just a little white lie. Little white lie? Oh yeah, I can get this extra $5,000 in taxes and I'll give 10% to the church. It's dirty money. People make excuses. Oh, little white lie. What about a little white crack pipe? Little white pornography? What about your little white Ouija boards? See, people like to make excuses. Remember, it's iron that sharpens iron. It's not like, you know, a little straw that sharpens iron. It's iron that sharpens iron. As you yourself endeavor to become a pattern. How does that happen? How does it how, how does a person become moldable into, you know, a, a pattern for others to emulate, others to imitate, others to follow after? Well, you have to be of the circumcision. And I'm not speaking in accordance to the law, I'm speaking in accordance to faith. We study that in Romans. Your heart has to be soft. You can't have a hard heart. Your heart has to be soft and moldable. You have to have eyes to see, ears to hear. And yield to the Lord, yield to the Holy Spirit, yield to the Word of God. And He's the one that changes you. He's the one that transforms you. And you're crucified with Christ, growing and maturing in Him. And supernaturally something happens. You become a pattern for others to follow. You see? Don't follow after the heathen. Don't follow after, you know, the guy's a, a sex head. Don't follow after that guy. The guy's on his fifth marriage. Don't follow after the guy. That's not what you want to imitate. That's not, you know, the Lord gives people as a pattern. Who are the patterns in your life? Mark them. Identify them. Aim for them. Not to kill them. Not to shoot them. To follow them. You see? And that's what Paul is saying here in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians, chapter 11. Paul says, imitate me. Imitate me just as you also, just as I also imitate Christ. You know, it's like, oh, you're going to follow man. Well, the man that you're following, is he following Christ? You see, so many times people say, oh, I'm going to follow this guy. I'm going to follow this lady. I'm going to follow this pastor. I'm going to follow this prophetess. Well, are they following Christ? Because if they're following Christ, they're not going to go grave soaking. Because the word of God and the word became flesh. The word of God says that's an abomination. So why in the world would you follow that guy? You see? Are you going to follow this guy that says things contrary to sound doctrine? Are you going to follow this lady that says things contrary to sound doctrine? Their disobedience is one thing. But that would address your disobedience if you choose to follow such people. In your circle of Christians, the Lord gives people as a pattern. Now, certain people, I, I, I should say, people who have circumcision of heart, 
They've moved on to perfection and they're still moving on to perfection, being complete in Christ, but they're growing, they've matured, and they, they are continuing to mature and grow in Christ. But then the question is, would you imitate them? Would you emulate them? They're beautiful people, male and female. That's what Paul says of himself here. Oh, Paul's boasting, Paul's boasting. No, he's not. He knows who he's following. And in so doing, he says, okay, follow me. We're going to Zion. Follow me. We're going to paradise. Follow me. And boom, you know what? I'm going to die. Follow Timothy. Follow Titus. You see? In verse 2 of chapter 11, 1 Corinthians says this, Now I praise you, brethren. Not like praise and worship, you know, the, the church or Christians. He's, I, I applaud you is how it translates. I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. Translates as the precepts. Keep the precepts just as I deliver them to you. And that's what's so beautiful about teacher to student because the teacher is just soaked in the word of God. Just fully, completely enveloped in the Word of God. And then goes to the student and pours into the students. You see? Pours into the pupils. Raising them in Christ. Feeding them the truth of God's Holy Word. Precepts. Precept upon precept. Remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you or keep the precepts just as I deliver them to you. And then here in verse 3, we're going to see something where it's referenced to male and female, man and woman. But these words are also used for husband and wife. A lot of translations, they say husband and wife. They don't say make mention of male and female. They just say husband and wife. And so this is very important to understand because we're going to see a little picture of husband and wife relationships. The relations with husband and wife. And don't forget, Paul says, you know, it's better not to marry. Now, when we get into passages like this, it's, you know, you understand why he says it's better not to marry. Not so you can be single and mingle, but that you can be single and serve the Lord fully and completely. And here in verse 3, we see this. He says, But I want you to know that the head of every man in Christ is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. Now, this word for head, it's not authority. It's the actual head. Like if you touch your, your head, you know where your ears are, that orb. <laughs> Some people's orbs are bigger than others. But you know where your hair is, if you have hair, you know, whatever, you know, you touch your head, your skull, and you know, that's, that's how it's the literal and physical head. Now you say, wait a second, what do you mean it, it doesn't mean authority? Because it says that the head of Christ is God and the head of every man is Christ. Well, it is true that there is authority in Christ and the head of Christ is God and certainly God our Father has authority. But whether or not a person acknowledges that authority. That's 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 on them. That's between them and the Lord. So, picture a body, a human body, and remove the head. Not, not to be grotesque, but you take a human body, you remove the head, and what happens? The body dies. Okay, it's dead. 
because there is no head. So the body is dead. It's, it's kind of like a no-brainer. Like, okay, I get what you're saying. You don't have to say it over and over and over. Well, I am going to say it over and over and over and over because it's important to understand this. Human body, no head, body's now dead, okay? Now you get a picture of, remember the disciples when they were called? He says, oh, let me go bury this. Let me go see my family. And the Lord says, let the dead bury the dead. Because yes, they have their, their you know, their, their, their body is alive. Spiritually speaking, if they themselves don't submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then they're dead. Let the dead bury the dead. Now, it's not to say that the dead cannot be alive in Christ. The dead certainly can become alive in Christ. The same way me in my old nature, in my carnal nature, my BC days, before Christ, I was dead. Dead. And it's the Lord who made me alive because I believed in Him and He revealed Himself to me and I fell in love with Him and I made a choice, not, not by force, to abide in Him and to love Him and to fear Him. I submitted myself unto His Lordship. And since my dead body now had this head as a covering, now I have life. You see? Before, I didn't acknowledge Him as my Lord. And I was dead. The body was severed from the head. It's like an atheist. Picture an atheist. They don't acknowledge Jesus Christ. They don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as their headship. Even though he is. I mean, he's Lord of all. But they don't acknowledge that. Okay, dead. Remember, we studied on Wednesday, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too shall the Son of Man be lifted up that those who look on him shall not perish. Well, a person has to look, and not just look, but have regard. And in that regard, something supernatural happens. Somebody has to make a choice. Lord, I repent. You are Lord. I repent. Forgive me of my sin. Then you have that covering. That spiritual covering happens where, okay, now the head is attached back to the body. And now the body is alive. The spirit is alive. And boom, death in the wilderness, alive in Christ. And, you know, passage to the to the promised land to paradise this is kind of like tying in our new testament studies and our old testament studies together first generation dies in the wilderness so when you see head here in verse three picture like the actual head the head, the body set with severed from the head the head severed from the body no life so I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. This is the physical head. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Now, this I have to give a little warning. There's a little warning label attached to this for both men and women. Be very careful with pride. Your hearts must be soft. Be very, very careful with pride. Be very, very careful with the Jezebel spirit. If you're... You know, if you have like a feminist tendencies, feminist leaning, well, you have to deny those things. You have to deny those things. Because the enemy will cause you to be like, what? What is this? You know, like he'll grab a foothold in the pride 
the pride. So we see here that remember these you see male and female here it's husband and wife you know you see how this translates is husband and wife but the same word is used for male and female some translations just say husband and wife but the head of woman is man the head of Christ is God every and we're going to explain this you know for my sisters for my beautiful, beautiful brothers, for my beautiful, beautiful sisters, I love you, but we're going to talk about some things that are pretty hardcore, a choice that you have to make for your own lives. Now, remember verse 16 too, if anyone seems to be contention, we have no such custom. So, you know, it's not like, you know, you, you, you have a choice to make for your life and your honor of the Lord. Let's continue in verse 4. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Now, verse 3, remember, the headship is Jesus Christ. Me, personally, sometimes I wear a baseball cap, sometimes I wear hats. And when I wear hats, you know, it's fine. You know, the shade for my eyes on a sunny day, you know, or, you know, like uh, 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 when it's rainy out. You know, I wear glasses sometimes. And when it's rainy out, I wear like a little baseball cap or like a, a rain hat because I just don't like the, the, the water on my lenses and my glasses. And, you know, when it's cold rain, I don't like the rain going down my neck. So I wear, you know, I want to make sure my, my collar is covered too. And so, but when it comes time to pray, I take off my hat. If I go to church like that, you know, I take off my hat. Take off my hat when I teach. Because I don't know how the Holy Spirit is going to teach. I don't know how the Holy Spirit is going to move in somebody's life. Sometimes people would come to me and say, oh, you know, this was so perfect. This was such a perfect message for this, whatever. And I'm like, okay, praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord together. It's not me. It's not me. It's the Lord. I'm just a messenger. I don't know how the Holy Spirit is going to minister to another person. But because the head, my head, is Jesus Christ, my covering is Jesus Christ, me, I choose to submit myself unto His covering. And so I don't want to have my head covered. So I take off my hat. You see, now, if there's another brother who prays and he has his hat on, I'm not going to have contention with him. I'm not going to say like, oh, how dare you? You need to repent. You're not <clears throat> I'm not going to have any contention. I'll take off my hat, you know, in agreement with prayer. I'll take off my hat. And then when we say amen, I'll put my hat back on. But then if another brother keeps his hat on, I'm not going to, you know, say, hey, you're going to burn in hell. No, I'm not going to do that. But if that brother says, okay, let's go grave soaking now. Okay, now we're going to have some contention. Because that's unbiblical. That's an abomination before the Lord. In verse 5, but every woman who prays or prophesies, it's very important to note this equal, equal function here. Both the male and the female are praying and prophesying. But every woman who prays or prophesies, with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. Now, verse 3 reveals that, remember, the head of female is always male. Biblically, the head of female is always male. Either uh, in a husband or in a, a pastoral leadership, like in those in Chloe's household, they went to their covering, which was male, Paul. And Paul corrected their, Paul caught wind of all these things from the household of Chloe. And so Chloe, those in her household, says, okay, let's notify Paul. They went to their male head. That's why, you know, there is, I can make a strong case that the church in Chloe's household, that little fellowship, 
it, probably female, predominantly female, maybe some kids, but maybe all women. I don't know. I have a hunch that's probably all women. And so they, in obedience to the Lord, they go to their spiritual head. Instead of going to, you know, these defunct pastors, these defunct elders that were in Corinth, baby teachers, preschool teachers. And those in the household of Chloe, they say, well, you know, we don't have this pastoral role. We don't have this role as elder or bishop. You know, we're not serving the Lord in that capacity. So, you know, we need to go to our head, which is Paul, our covering. Male, always male. Even Esther had Mordecai, remember. Even Esther had Mordecai, a male covering. Every woman or praise or prophesy with her head uncovered dishonors her head, which is male. Dishonor Verse 3 reveals it's a male, her, her husband. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Now, there are shameful connotations to in, in the Old Testament where it is a symbol of being unclean. I mean, we studied that in Numbers 5. This unclean, we're going to study it more when we get into Deuteronomy. And so you read this and you're like, wait a second, if you're female, my sister in Christ. Understand too, verse 15, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but verse 15 says, if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. You see? Covering. Sometimes, you know, single females, they, they don't want to get married because they want to honor the Lord. And, you know, sometimes they they can't get married because they can't find somebody. You know, Bibli as this world gets darker and darker and darker, I mean, I, I'm married, but I mean, for single people, it's going to be harder to find not just a mate, you know, that that's easy. You know, I'm not speaking carnally, but that, that I'm talking about... Uh, to have a union, to have a spiritual union, physical union, it's getting harder and harder because the church is getting, entering judgment. And the church is entering a, a, this stage of judgment. Remember, judgment comes first in the house of God. Me personally, I kind of think that we've already passed that precipice, okay, where now we're entering this phase of judgment. I don't want to say phase, but I meant, you, you read like timeline of the last days. It's like, okay, there's this, it starts like this. Judgment begins in the house of God. But it's getting harder and harder. So if you're single, beautiful, beautiful sister in Christ, and you're single, you don't have a spouse, or maybe you're a widow, and you read verse five and you're like, oh man, I don't have my, I don't have my husband anymore, or I don't have a husband, or I've been single for a long time and, you know, I don't, I don't want to marry just anybody. Well, don't be discouraged. Because verse 15, a woman has long hair. It's a glory to her. Her hair is given as a covering. And praise be to the Lord. You know how all these things happen. You know, these, these passages. Now, based on these interpretations, you see like you see some fellowships, some churches, some denominations. You see all the women have like super duper long hair. Long hair, like they never go to the haircut. They never get their haircut. No, never go to the stylist. You know, everybody has like super duper long hair. And they roll it up in buns, and their buns are not just like this little tiny bun. Their buns are like these huge, like behemoths of hair because they never cut their hair because they say, it's my covering. Now, me personally, I don't mind that. I don't mind that. I'm not going to have any contention with anybody. 
But if I see in the church, like it's mandated, you know, women, you can never cut your hair because it's a covering. When it's mandated, I might talk to the pastor. I might talk to the elders. I'm not going to have any, like, you know, that. then it's like, okay, look, are, are you mandating this? Because the Bible says, hey, look, no contentions over this. You see, it's the covering. You see, like, well, you know, remember in the Old Testament, even the holy place and the holy of holies had a covering. Even the two had a covering. And that covering was kind of one and the same. Because the covering for the Holy of Holies and the covering for the holy place, the, the most holy. So we see this here in verse uh, 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 5, one that uh, uh, he says, with, uh, uh, But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one of the same as if her head were shaved. So if you don't have this male covering, literally, like physically, don't be discouraged because your hair is given, to my sisters, your hair is given as a covering. And don't forget your male covering in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, and, you know, if you're single and you have a, a, a godly pastor, male, you know, look at all these coverings you have. Praise be to the Lord. Now, if you're married and your husband's off in crazy town, your covering is Jesus Christ. You have your hair as a covering, but your, your, your covering is Jesus Christ. Your husband goes off into crazy town. Let him go off into crazy town. But you hold on to him for dear life. And with your other hand, you hold on to Christ for dear life. Because in so doing, you save your kids. We study that. You save your kids. A lot of times, women will be like, okay, my husband's my covering. My husband's going to go off into crazy town. And I'm going to submit to him. And look what you're doing. You're going off into crazy town too. And you're taking your kids with you. Don't do that. In verse 6, For if a woman is not covered... Let her also be shorn. Remember, it's one and the same. Let her also be shaved if she has no covering. But it is shameful for a woman to be shorn. Or, but if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. So this is like, you know, something I have to say to my sisters in Christ. It's a medical condition where you lose your hair or maybe cancer. You go into, you know, radi- radiation or chemotherapy and you have... Women in Christ, sisters in Christ, you lose your hair. Or you're old, you're old and you, you lose your hair. Now, does this mean you're losing your covering? No. No, there's, there's no shame in that. Abide in Christ. Your spiritual covering. Abide in Christ. Because sometimes, you know, people have consciences that are not as strong as another. And in that state of a weaker conscience, oh, you know, like you're female, you know, and you go into chemotherapy and then you go into radiation and your hair falls off, hair falls out and you're like completely bald. And sometimes in your heart of hearts, you know, because of your conscience, you say, wow, does this mean I have no covering? And you get like really, really down and Satan capitalizes on that. No, your covering is Christ. Your covering is Christ. Don't be discouraged. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 6. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. If, if it is shameful for a woman. So, you know, you're losing your, you know, does this mean you're losing your covering if you, if you, if your hair falls out? Are you losing your covering if you go into radiation and you get chemotherapy and you're treating cancer, you have a medical condition where your hair falls out? 
No, there's no shame. No shame. Abide in Christ. You see? This is in obedience. In obedience to the Lord. Male and female together. Remember, in Christ, there's no male and female. In Christ. But for both male and female, we all need a covering. We all need the covering of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us, we need the covering of Jesus Christ. Don't forget that in the Old Testament tabernacle, in the wilderness, both the holy place and the holy of holies had a covering. Don't forget. In verse 7, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. Remember, in verse 3, the head is Christ. The head is Christ. Since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Now, I have to say something to men. Now, remember, these words are used for husband and wife. It says the woman is the glory of man. Now, the countenance of a woman, the countenance of a wife, reveals a lot about the husband. I mean, I've met wives, Christians, Christian home, a Christian husband, Christian wife, Christian kids. And I met wives who are just straight up slaves in their own house. And you can see it in their countenance, slaves of their own husbands. You know, oh, submit to my husband, submit to my husband, submit to my husband, submit to my... Your husband's a crazy town. Your husband likes to go grave soaking. Your husband doesn't follow sound doctrine. Or your husband's a baby. The works of the flesh are evident. And don't forget, you know, my wife married a baby. You know, so, you know, there's maturity that happens. A wife can sacrificially intercede for her husband. And definitely do that. Pray for your husband's. You know, my wife married a baby and it cost her a lot. Almost cost her her life. You know, there was a lot of danger. She was unequally yoked. Not just baby, but when we were dating, I was an unbeliever. Missionary dating isn't good. It almost cost my wife her life. And so this period of growth, I mean, you know, the countenance of a woman reveals a lot about the husband. Because remember, the woman is the glory of man. What is the countenance of your wife, men? What is the countenance? What is her countenance? Because it reveals, you see, wives who are slaves. Sometimes you see wives who not, they, they, they have a ring on their finger, but they're concubines. They're just there for sex. And you see it in their countenance. That's why, you know, in the church, you see a lot of women who are basket cases, just straight up basket cases. And I don't say that to, you know, you know, I speak respectfully to the Lord because it's his church. But you see that a lot among women, just basket cases. And I blame the husbands. I look at the husbands. Husband, your glory is, is evident in your wife. The woman is the glory of man. It reveals a lot about you, oh man. It reveals a lot about you, oh husband. I'm speaking about inside the church. Woe to the husbands, if that's the case. It's not good. You know what you need? You need to repent. Oh, but I did the altar call when I was 10. Do it again. You're 30, do it again. You're 40, do it again. You see, repent, repent, repent. Moving on to perfection. We all need a covering. Male, female, we all need a covering. 
But even Jesus Christ had a covering himself, which is his Father. He made a choice to submit to the Lord, to submit to our Father. Remember, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me, Lord. I, Father, I don't want this. Take this cup from me. But then he said, but not my will, thy will be done. In submission to the Father. He places himself under the Lordship of our Father. Men, you do that. You place yourself under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Women, you do the same. You place yourself under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see? Now, you don't place the, the, yourself under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now you're severing the head. You know, just like that body example. You cut off the head, and then what happens? The body dies. You no longer submit to Jesus Christ. You're dead. You're moving into death. You're entering the realm of the dead. And let the dead bury the dead. No, you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Acknowledge Him as your head, as your covering. When men do that, women, you do the exactly the same. Now, you get married. Now what happens? I mean, like, so you have a man that does that. You have a woman that does that. Submits to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Acknowledges Jesus Christ as their head. Now you get married. Now what happens? The woman is the one that now goes underneath her husband. I mean, just think of like a, like a hierarchy, you know, like, the, like a company hierarchy. Now you get married. What the woman does is submits herself to her husband. You see? A lot of women, you don't like to hear that. Oh, I, I, I can't say, well, you got married, you know? <laughs> you should have thought about that. <sighs> you know, you should have thought about that. Well, my pastor never told me. Well, did you not read? You should read. I, I didn't read, but I just trusted my pastor. Well, your pastor never taught. Does he, does, does he teach uh, topically, topical messages? Yeah, there's your problem. You know, get another pastor, you know? You know, if you're single, that's why Paul says it's better not to be married. It's better not to be married, not to be single, but that's so you can serve the Lord. 100% serve the Lord. You don't have to worry about the things of the world. You just serve the Lord. Now, so you have a husband that submits himself, a man that submits himself to Jesus Christ. A woman submits herself to Jesus Christ. But that's like the ultimate that's that's where you find like if you're single and you're looking for, you know, somebody to court that's the ultimate. That's, that's the goal, to seek somebody who's submitting himself to Jesus Christ and seek somebody who's submitting herself to Jesus Christ. That's what you want to look. The truth of God's holy word will weed out the riffraff. Let the Bible weed out the riffraff. I don't care how cute he is. I don't care how cute she is. But you let the Bible weed out the riffraff. You know, you're dating a guy. You're in courtship with a guy who says, Oh, you know, let's take a relationship to the next level and let's have sex before marriage. Boom. Let the word of God weed out the riffraff. Boom. He's riffraff. The Bible reveals riffraff. You know? Riffraff. You have a female who says, you know, you're in courtship and the female says, Oh, you know, let's go get drunk tonight. The word of God will weed out the riffraff. Anybody named a brother. Anybody in anybody in named a brother or sister, you know, separate from such a person. You know, you're dating, you're you're in courtship, you know, and then you're in courtship, and the guy says, Yeah, I'm gonna be a tax cheat, I'm gonna cheat on my taxes. Or yeah, I have these employees, but I pay them under the table. Ah, the word of 
God will weed out the riffraff. Now you have a choice to make. The best place to find courtship with another, you know, male unto female, female unto male, is those who are have Jesus Christ as their head. But then, you know, once the, there's marriage that happens, then the wife submits herself. In submission to Jesus Christ, the wife submits herself to her husband. See, the husband goes off into crazy town. The husband wants to be a baby. The husband does this. That's your problem. It's just a vapor. It's just a vapor. Keep that in mind. Keep the eternity in mind. It's just a vapor in the scope of eternity. It might be 40 years, 50 years, 80 years, but it's just a vapor in the grand scheme of things. Now, husbands, a lot of husbands, a lot of men, they get married and they like that. They're like, okay, my wife is going to submit to me. Submit. But don't forget, you can never leave that your, your head, which is Jesus Christ. And if you do, you're in disobedience to the Lord. You, you, know, you always have to be in submission to Jesus Christ. A lot of men get in, they think, oh yeah, my, they can't even find their way out of a wet paper bag. Wives, submit to me, submit to me, submit to me, submit to me. And then you have the slave wives, concubine wives. Basket case wives. And a lot of husbands, they like, yeah, I like this authority. They have no authority ever, anywhere, but in marriage, they have this authority and they abuse this authority. But then come kids. Now the kids enter the scene and what happens? The Lord says, okay, you're going to cause any one of these who believe in me to stumble? Okay, let me tell you what's better, husband. Let me tell you what's better, wife. Let me tell you what's better, man. Let me tell you what's better, woman. If you're going to cause one of these little ones to stumble, it is better for you to go to a bridge, take a big millstone with you, tie a big rope around the millstone, and then take the other end of the rope and tie it around your neck and take the millstone and push it off the bridge. The Lord says it is better for you to do that than to cause a little one to stumble, to cause a little one to depart from him. I mean, a lot of times, you know, people like this submission. A lot of men, they say, oh yeah, wives submit to me, wives submit to me. But they themselves don't submit to Jesus Christ. And then they make matters more, uh, I don't want to say complicated, because kids are a blessing of the Lord. The Lord loves godly offspring. But He raises the bar. Okay, you raise these kids in the Lord. You raise these kids in me, He says. And if you cause anyone to the stumble, then, you know, it is better. The millstone is better for you. Whoa. That, that puts things into major, major, major perspective. The woman is the glory of man. You look at the countenance. Sometimes I look at the countenance of a wife. And it's like, man, you know what? That, that husband is like, whew. He needs. A, he's got a lot of work, you know. He's, he needs. A, you know, you pray for you, like Lord. You know, this guy. This guy's a gut job, you know. It's like you take it like an old, uh, beat up car into the garage. Like I don't know how this is gonna happen. It's gonna take a lot of time, but wow, you know, let's go into the garage. You know, it's intercession. Lord, pray for this guy. Pray for this lady. Pray for their marriage. Pray for their kids. Pray for this. Pray for that. You see. Now we see here in verse eight. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Now you see this, you read this, and you're like, wait a second. But women give birth to men. Women give birth to male. They will give birth to men. They give birth to like babies, but they're males. Women give birth to males. 
Okay, I understand that. But let's go back even further. Adam's rib. That's how far back we're going. Adam's rib. Man is not from woman. But woman is from man. You see? Woman is from man. Verse 9. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. Now, does this mean that a husband has rights to be heavily dictatorial to her to his wife? Now, a lot of men think that. But hold on. We're still, you know, we're still reading here. Hold on. Is it man was created, nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Now, a lot of men read passages like this and they say, okay, this is where the Bible tells me I can be heavy-handed. This is where the Bible tells me wives submit to me. You know? A lot of men, because of carnality, they like they you ask them anything in the Bible, they don't know anything in the Bible, but you talk about the wife ones where that wives submit to the husband, they know those things like the back of their hand. You see, it's because of our carnality. You know, you talk, try to talk deep spiritual things with the guy and you can't. But then you say, okay, tell me a Bible verse that you memorize. You know, here they say, oh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, let me see here. Uh, verse 9. Uh, man, uh, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. It's like, oh, how, how convenient that you memorize that one. You see? But hold on. He says this in verse 10. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Because of the angels. Now, this word for angels, it translates as messenger, pastor, angels, and also dark angels. It's used to describe dark angels. And Paul says here, because of the angels. So which is it? Applicationally speaking, applicationally speaking, I see advantages in all of these. Say the messenger aspect. So say, for example, um, you are in Paul's entourage. You're male or female. It doesn't matter. Because remember, Paul said that. We studied that a, a couple chapters ago. You know, when uh, people were saying, oh, Paul, you, you, you shouldn't have uh, people who are uh, uh, women in, in, in your, in your uh, 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 entourage. I say entourage, but it's like a little, little fellowship within a, a remnant within a remnant. Within a remnant. You see, it's like, you know, you shouldn't have females with you. You're like in chapter 9, verse 5, do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles? And people were saying, oh, don't take your wife, don't take your wife, or don't have any women with you. It's just the men only. Paul said, do we, do we have no right to that? So say you're male or you're female and you're in Paul's inner circle. That's how hardcore you are. Not, to take, that's, not that you boast, but you're following the pattern. And in following the pattern, you're in this ministry of Paul. And you, you are doing, you know, in one aspect, you could see you're doing Paul's bidding. But in, re in reality, in the grand scheme of things, you're doing the bidding of the Lord. You're placing yourself under submission unto your covering. Okay, it's a spiritual covering. It's not like, you know, Paul says, oh, I want you to go across town and get me a burger and bring it back to me. And when you bring it back to me, I, I want it to be nice and hot. So hurry up. You know, Paul's not getting orders like that. No, he'll, he'll write a letter down on parchment or he'll speak it and somebody will write, you know, in his entourage, there might be a scribe. Now, I say entourage, but just his inner circle. Beautiful, beautiful people, man, like a whole bunch of patterns. A whole bunch of patterns to follow. If not right here and right now, then, you know, in the future down the road, just like Timothy and Titus. 
So you're in, that's the inner circle that you're in. That's what I mean when I say the entourage. So you're in Paul's entourage. And then, you know, Paul's, you know, saying these things and, and the scribe is writing them down. The scribe is done. And so Paul looks at it, says, okay, rolls it up and then gives it to you. You're male or you're female. He gives it to you. Okay. And he says, okay, take this to Corinth. Take this to Corinth or take this to Ephesus. Take this to Philippi. Take this to wherever. Take this to this guy. How are you going to know? How are you going to know? So you run into Corinth and you're like, okay, there's a lot of females here. There's these, oh man, look at all these temples. There's the, temp, the there's the gods and goddesses, lowercase g. You got the priests and the priestesses. Like, wow, where are the Christians? Where are the Christians? And then you see a lady walking and she has a covering on her head. Boom. That's a Christian. Boom, that, that's a lady of the way. Let me go to her. Excuse me, miss. Do you happen to know where the Christians meet? She said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I meet over here. You know, on these days we meet over here. We're going to have a, a, a fellowship tonight. We're going to meet tonight. Where is that? Do you know Chloe? We meet in her house. Oh, okay. You see? These identifying markers. So, applicationally speaking, like verse ten, for this woman, for, for this, for this, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Remember, angel translates as messenger. So sometimes you hear people say they like to make the distinction of like, uh, okay, this is specifically pastors, or specifically messengers, or specifically angels or demons. Now, the word is used for all. And I can see applicational aspects to all. that. The one I just gave was the messenger. You're the runner. Male, female, you're the runner. The scribe is done writing. Paul rolls it up and says, here, run this to, run this to Corinth. And you run to Corinth. You're like, okay, you see a woman with a covering. That's got to be a Christian. Then you inquire, excuse me, miss. Excuse me. You know? And then she speaks Christianese. Oh, peace be upon you. You know, the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ be upon you. How can I help you? And you, boom, you know, because she speaks Christianese, you know, okay, wow. She's a Christian. She has this covering. Now you look at the pastors. You know, the, the word for angels here translates as pastors too. Well, for pastors to know, okay, you know, the, these kind of like the similar with the messenger. Who are the, uh, you know, the, the ladies of the way? You know, who are the women of the way? Who are the females of the way? The covering. Identifiers, markers. Now, also for the angels, this is kind of interesting too because, you know, you can look at like dark angels too for I mean, the angelic realm. And we see this word applicationally in, in Revelation, how it's used for dark angels. And, you know, it's like the dark angels, the angelic realm... Don't forget that, you know, uh, it, 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 turn with me really quick to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Brother Peter, Brother Peter says to them, he's speaking about the Old Testament prophets, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. 
they were ministering things which, which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into or things which angels desire to lean over and peer within is how that translates. The angels desire to look into these things, to see what's happening. To look at the Christians, to look at the people of the way. Look at, you know, like in this town. How do I know the people of the way? Well, you know, I know those, see those people with covering? Look closer, they're women. See their covering that they have on their head? They're a people of the way. Those are the women of the way. Those are the ladies of the way. You see? They're markers. Because they have this covering. How beautiful is this that we see passion? Now, the dark angels, they also make these markers to know, okay, that's who I'm going to oppress. That's who we have to attack. So they say, okay, that woman has a covering. That's who I'm going to go attack. They try and attack, but then boom, the woman pulls, up, pulls out her sword. Because, yeah, you know, you think she's, you know, the run of the mill. But she's not run of the mill. She's a lady of the way. She's a fighter. She's a warrior. You see? And so evil comes upon her, and then boom, she handles business, pulls out her sword, unsheath the sword. You see? Because she knows how to fight. Well-trained, well-equipped, well-versed, well-acclimated, because she's a lady of the way. She has her covering. So sometimes, you know, people like to say, okay, this is for pastors or this is for uh, uh, the angels. Well, you know, there's, applicationally speaking, there's, 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 you could see it tied to all in verse 10. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels, because of the messengers or the pastors or the angels or the dark angels. Verse 11, nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman nor woman independent of man. In the Lord. So remember in verse 9, when I said, you know, hold on a sec, because in verse 9, a lot of men say the man was created, the man, uh, nor was the man created for the woman, but woman for the man. A lot of men, they like that. They say, you see, she's for me. She's to serve me. You know, if you, if you want a slave class, men, just get a maid, you know, get a maid, you know, they'll come clean your house, probably get a bit, be a better cook, depending on how much you want to pay, probably eat better food. You know, but no, it doesn't work that way. A lot of men treat their wives like slaves. You know, either like, oh, I just need somebody to clean my house. You know, I need somebody to, you know, do this, do that, do that. Well, get a maid, you know. Some men treat their wives like concubines. It's not good. It's not good at all. So you see verse 9, it's like, okay, but woman for the man... But then we see here in verse 11, nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of, of nor, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. Remember Paul's recommendation? It's better not to marry. <laughs> I think you understand why he makes this recommendation. He's not, he's not talking smack about marriage. Marriage is a beautiful institution, but we look forward to the better marriage, you see? The better marriage, the better covering. You see? 
the better marriage, the better bridegroom, the better husband, Jesus Christ. And, you know, when he recommends it, you know, I recommend that you be single. He doesn't say, I want you to be single so you can mingle. He says, so that you can serve the Lord. For the man, chapter 7, verse 32, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. And then in verse 34, the unmarried, this is chapter 7, 1 Corinthians, verse 34, the unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. You see? And don't forget, you know, with maturity, say you're married and you start to mature, you start to matriculate and you're no longer in you're no longer in preschool. You're in elementary school and you're moving towards high school. Well, don't forget verse 29. From now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. You see? Why? Because we serve the Lord. Looking forward to the better husband. You see, you see man, like, what do you mean the better husband? I'm a man, you know? Well, in Christ, there's no male, female. You have to get off that high horse. Denounce your pride. That's carnal. And so in verse 12, chapter 11, verse 12, we see this. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. So like in verse 8, for man, for, for man is not from woman, but woman from man. Remember, Eve came from Adam's rib. Woman from man. But then at the same time, verse 12, as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. That's the birthing process. The birthing process. You know, women give birth to men. Or women give birth to, to boys, to like little baby boys. You know? But all things are from the Lord. All, all things are from God. See, order in the church. Look at the old patterns. You know, when Paul says in verse 1, imitate me just as I also imitate, imitate Christ. Remember, he's a pattern. But look at the prior patterns. Look at the old patterns of defunct pastors and defunct elders and preschool teachers. Those were the patterns that Corinth had. And look what it got them. Look at the works of the flesh. Look at the sin that was, look at the carnality that was in the church that had not been addressed. Carnality is one thing. That's a gimme. Expect carnality in the church. But then also expect carnality to be dealt with. In the course of time, it's not like, you know, you take a sip of beer and boom, you're out of here. No, remember, three years, arrested development. Nobody corrected them for three years. Three years, nobody say, hey, you know what? I see you getting drunk. This isn't good. Three years, I, I, I see you, you know, you're getting awfully chummy, chummy with your dad's wife. That's not good. No, you, the works of the flesh were boom right there. And that's just the works of the flesh. What's going on in the mind? Remember, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. But you know, you see these works in the flesh, what in the world were they meditating, meditating on? Look at all these prior patterns. They might have called themselves patterns. They might have referred to themselves as patterns. You read the Bible, you know what? They're not patterns. No, these defunct pastors, these defunct elders, these preschool teachers, there's a better pattern. The Pauls, the Tituses, the, 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 the Timothys, the Chloes, the Loises, the Eunices, the Lydias, the Phoebes. These are patterns. And the world was not worthy. Not worthy. The world is not worthy of godly patterns. 
And he says this in verse 13, judge among yourselves. Judge among yourselves. I love this when he says this. You make this distinction among yourselves. He didn't say that in chapter 2 and chapter 3 when they were babies. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Now, remember, this is the, uh, you know, the, 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 Paul is addressing their state of babyhood, their state of babiness. Because he says, you judge. You make this determination now. Does not even nature itself, does not even the natural world itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? Now, I have to say something to my brothers in Christ. You know, if you're like hippie, you know, you have your long hair or whatever, you know, and you read this and because you have a weak conscience, sometimes you might read this and think like, oh no, what do I do? What do I do? Well, number one, don't forget, if anyone, in verse 16, if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom. But, you know, even still, you know, as you grow, as you mature, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? Now, focus on the inside first. Okay, focus on the heart first. Focus on the mind first. And in your mind, you submit to Jesus Christ. In your heart, you submit to Jesus Christ. And then, you know, from that point, you know, that's between you and the Lord. That's between you and the Lord. I know godly men who have like really long hair. And, you know, <laughs> me personally, I don't like long hair. For me, for, I, mean, I don't mind it on guys, but like for me, I just don't like long hair. I like for my hair. I like it short. I don't like long hair. You know, I just, like, okay, the, the reason why is, like, you know, you feel like my, like, you feel a gust of wind. And if I feel a gust of wind on my hair, you know, sometimes people feel a gust of wind and it's, like, no big deal. But I feel a gust of wind and then I start to think, oh, was that, I, I can't tell, was that a bug, is there a bug in my hair? And if there, and I start thinking about bugs. And then I start thinking about bugs and then I get itchy. It's like, okay, so it's better just to have short hair. You know, I just keep my hair nice and short. So like hippies, you know, and I, I'm very fond of the Jesus People movement from like the 60s, or late 60s, you know, mid 60s, early 70s in that time period. I'm very, very fond of the Jesus People movement, you know, where you have these hippies who came to Christ. Arguably, quite possibly the last revival in America, the last revival, quite possibly. I mean, you see these uprisings of, you know, different people say, oh, there's a revival over here. Oh, there's a revival over here. But then you look at the fruit and it's like, eh, that looks manufactured to me. But in the Jesus people move, like freeways became parking lots because church buildings could, like in Southern California, church buildings couldn't house all these hippies which were coming to Christ. They would meet in, 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 in buildings, but then all of a sudden they had to meet out in fields because the building couldn't house the, 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 the people. It was too small, like big buildings, and it was too small, too many people. So they have these tents. They started having these tents, and the tents, they were so jam-packed. There was no place to park that people were pulling alongside the freeway. And so many people were pulling alongside the freeway that traffic came to a stop. I mean, freeway in Southern California is no joke. I mean, freeway in, you know, Nebraska... That's like, that's one thing. But a freeway in SoCal, that's another thing completely. And those freeways becoming parking lots. People were like jumping over the medians just to get so they can get in and hear the word of the Lord. And not just that. Strip, strip clubs were closing down. 
the drug dealers were going out of business, going out of business. All these like, you know, these uh, 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 the, the wine shops, the alcohol shops, everything was closing down. Why? Because there was a revival of the Holy Spirit. People say, oh, there was a revival over here too. But uh, you're going to call glitter? That's a revival? You see what I'm saying? Oh, there's a, the, the, the moving of the Holy Spirit. Look, there's a revival over here. They're going grave soaking. That's not a revival. That's, that's manufactured. You know, their God is their belly. No, but, you know, the Jesus people movement, 60s, 70s, early 70s, late 60s, arguably, quite possibly, the last revival in America. And I teach from the United States. And a lot of beautiful things happened from there. A lot of beautiful things. And don't forget, Satan attacked too. Some of them started out as beautiful, but then they turned south. Different ministries popped up. But I'm very fond of the Jesus people movement. And they're a bunch of hippies, long-haired people, you know, people who never took showers. You know, they were, you know, smelly, you know, women with their armpit hair. They got the, uh, the, the, the you know, the long-haired man with the long hair. And what happened, you know, you know, walking barefoot in church, you know, stinky walking in church. But yet they fell in love with the Lord. And praise be to his name. Praise be to his name, how he works. I don't care how stinky you are. You know, sometimes people get, you know, like, oh, you know, you can't come to church if you have, like, you know, long hair. You got to cut your hair if you want to come to church. You know, forget about the hair. What's inside? What goes on outside the temple is, you know, outside the temple. Corinth is Corinth. The world is the world. What goes on inside the temple? Remember what, what comes out of a man's mouth? You know, it's not what he eats, what he consumes. It's what comes out of his mouth. It's what comes out of his mouth because that's the outpouring of the heart. What is the heart full of? Let's look at the heart. So sometimes people are, a lot of teachers, they get a little overly dogmatic about certain passages like this. I mean, have you ever been a guest in a church or you're looking, you're like moving to a new part of town and so you, you, you go inside a fellowship and all the women have their head coverings on? And you, sometimes you go inside a fellowship and you see like one female with a head covering on. Me personally, I, I, I see sweetness in that. It's like, oh wow, you know, she's honoring the Lord. Like no other female has this except here's this one female who has a covering. And I see that. It's like, wow, it's kind of sweet because you know what? She's like alone. And yet she's honoring the Lord in, you know, her, uh, 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 not just interpretation of 1 Corinthians 11, but in her conscience, she's serving the Lord. But then if you walk into a fellowship and you see all the women with these coverings on, it's like, okay, maybe it's mandated that the women have to have their covering. Or you see all the women with like super duper long hair where they have to, it's not just a little bun on their head. It's like this huge, enormous, you know, like beach ball on their head size bun. It's like, okay, maybe this, this is mandated that the women have to have long hair. They can't cut their hair. And that's what you see in the church today. That's what you see in denominations. Or man, you know, man, you have to cut your hair because of what the Bible says in chapter 11, uh, 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 verse 14. I'm not overly dogmatic because of verse 16. If anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom. It's not like there's a loophole. But understand Let's look at the heart first. 
Let's look at the, the mind, you know, is every thought brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ? Forget about the outside, you know. The Lord will deal with it. Jesus cleans his own fish. I don't care how dirty you are. You're stinky, you know. You're female with your armpit hair like they had in the hippie days. The Jesus people movement. But yet you love the Lord. Come to Jesus. You're a sex head. Come to Jesus. He'll clean you. You deny it. You're a meth head, a crackhead. Come to Come one, come all. I don't care whatever kind of, even if you murdered somebody, you come to Christ, you believe in Christ. Now, once you believe in Christ, we got to call the cops. You're going to go to prison. But I don't, start your prison, I don't care. You come to Christ. He loves, it's just a vapor. You got a life sentence, it's just a vapor. You're married, you have a life sentence. <laughs> it's just a vapor. You know, come to Christ. He clean. He keep the temple clean before the Lord. Let's look at the inside. And so, look at verse fifteen. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. How beautiful is this? Like your hair, like for a female, your hair is given to. It's like a natural covering that the Lord has given you. You know, it's so beautiful to see this. You know, and, you know, sometimes people say, you know, we live in a day and age where, you know, the men want to be girls. The girls want to be men. It's crazy. How come women have this and men have this? And it's like, that's it. It's the world. You know, we're different. Guys are different from girls. Girls are different than guys. That's the difference. That's how the Lord made it. Male and female. You see, they're living in crazy days right now. Because they have these, you know, hormone changers, the mimickers and hormone uh, blockers. There's a, a dad who was thrown in prison in Canada because his daughter wanted to be a male. And so, you know, he says, no, don't do that. The doctors wanted to prescribe these blockers. And she goes to school and says, oh, yeah, my dad's doing this. They called the authorities and went to court, big court case. And now he's in prison. They threw him in jail. Because he's preventing the daughter from being male. You see? Crazy. We live in crazy, crazy days. Now, if you're transgender, you know, trans whatever you call it. I don't. I really don't know the terminology. I don't follow the latest, with, you know, the latest terms. God loves you. If you're wrestling with, you know, if you're male and you think you're female, you're female and you think you're male. No, God is not confused. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. He created you. He doesn't make mistakes. You look at the suicide rate among transgenders. It is high. The suicide rate among teen transgender, it is super, super, super high. There's no confusion in Christ. If you're wondering, you know, if you're female and you think you're a guy, if you're a guy and you think you're a girl, no, there's no confusion in Christ. You come to Christ. I don't care. You say, oh, yeah, I'm a basket case. That's fine. I was a basket case too when I came to Christ. And you know what? Jesus Christ cleaned me. And he'll do the same for you. I too was a basket case, my friend. I don't tell you this to hurt you. 
I tell you this because I love you. You come to Christ. I don't care whatever muck of the world. That's the world. And the world is fading. And the world will fade. You believe in Jesus Christ. Now, if that's you and you want to repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you hit pause and then you listen to the message, how to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. And then you do just that, what's in that, in, in that message. You do exactly what's said there. And then you come back and you listen, you continue. And we grow and mature, mature in Christ together. Remember, that's what's so beautiful about the church in Corinth. I mean, you look at passages of Corinth, you think about what's happening in Corinth. You're like, man, I can't believe it. Man, this is so ugly. But that's life. Life without Christ is ugly. Life without growth in Christ can get ugly, just as what we see in Corinth. But what's so beautiful is you see this change, this transition from, you know, young to mature, babies to no longer babies. In chapter 6, verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Wow. Such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Praise be to His name. I don't care whatever kind of mess you're in. Drunkard, sex head, meth head. I could care less. You believe in Jesus Christ? Praise be to the Lord. Come one, come all. And when you come to Christ, you don't leave Christ. You stay in Christ. You grow in Christ. And then you put aside those things which hinder you. You lay them. Give them to the Lord. Leave it at the foot of the cross. The sex, the crack, the drugs, the pornography, the, you know, being a tax cheat, the Ouija board. I really don't care. Why? Because that's the wilderness. That's where we die. What I care about is you in paradise with Christ. Where He gives us the tree of life, to eat of the tree of life. The tree of life can't be eaten. Old Testament, even now, the tree of life can't be eaten. But in paradise, it's the Lord who gives us to eat of the tree of life. Why? Because of the life we have in Christ. The head that we acknowledge Christ in submission to Him. So, let's go back in continuation. Chapter 11, 1 Corinthians. Verse 16. But if anyone seems to be contentious or anybody wants to debate or be quarrelsome about this, he says, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Now remember... Corinth needed a little extra attention because the world, Corinth was coming into the church. Corinth, it was impacting the church more than the church impacting Corinth. But, you know, this world that we're in today, you know, the, the, the world that is coming into the church has varying manifestations of this, 
Yeah, like the problems that we see in Corinth were not like the problems we see in Galatia. They're not like the problems we see in Ephesus or Philippi. Uh, Corinth was a little different because of what their location, the, the onslaught of what their location. Now, like, for example, we read the Old Testament, like in uh, Ezekiel, you see um, Gog, you know, G-O-G, Gog, lowercase g, Gog ruler of certain areas of the land. And just as there is order in the angelic realm, the heavenly the heavenly angels, well, there's also a little bit of structure that we see in the demonic realm, the fallen angels and certain demons, powerful, but they have control over a certain region as evidenced when we read about Gog. In the Old Testament. And so with that comes, okay, well, you know, this area has uh, a certain influence over it. This other area has an entirely different influence over it. The problems that we see in the Western world, in the church, culturally speaking, is different than problems we see in, you know, the, the Middle Eastern church. Sometimes it's synonymous, one and the same. But other areas, you know, Christians are getting their heads chopped off today. Heavy, heavy persecution. Because there's different overseeing factions of the demonic realm. But even in that demonic realm, there's still Christians there. A people of the way. Not under the influence of those principalities. And we fight. You see, people, it's not a social club. It's straight up combat. It's, it's like warfare. It's, it's not a social club at all. And so we see these, these passages, like, in, in, like in continuing in verse 17. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. I do not applaud you. So very interesting. He says in verse 2, now I praise you. But then here in verse 17, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together or assemble. How it translates? Since you assemble, not for the better, but for the worse. Very interesting. You see, a lot of Christians today, a lot of pastors today, you know, they quote from Hebrews 10, do not forsake the assembly of the saints. Do not forsake the assembly of the saints. But you know what happens with carnality and works of the flesh? Conduct unbecoming of a Christian? We forsake the assembly. Christians forsake the assembly. Paul says, you come together, you assemble, not for the better, but for the worse. How does that happen? Verse 18, for first of all, when you come together as a church, as an ecclesia, I hear that there are divisions, translates as splits and schisms among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions or heresy among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you, or those who are acceptable may be uh, made shining among you. So how does this translate? How does it, what does this look like? Well, say, for example, my Jesus People Movement example, which happened in the late 60s, early 70s, or mid-60s, maybe early 60s, 63, 62, somewhere around there. 
the Holy Spirit started moving. All these stinky people, the hippies, never took showers. You know, they lived on the beach. They lived out, you know, in their van or whatever. They wanted to, you know, buck the system. And in bucking the system, the Lord touched them. And they received Jesus Christ as Lord. But even still, in the carnal body, they haven't taken a shower. You know, no hygiene. Nasty breath. They don't brush their teeth. Long hair. And then they go into church fellowships. Oh, we want to hear the word of God. And some churches rejected them. I shouldn't say some. A lot of churches rejected them. Because it was like a shirt and tie event. You come to church, you dress up, you have your short hair, you got to take a shower, you got to be clean. And if you don't have that, you can't come in. And a lot of the, the, the hippies were rejected. And you know what happened? You know, in, in this, in what Paul says here, that, that those who are approved may be recognized, or those who are acceptable may be recognized or made shining. So what's happening here, saying that Jesus people movement example, we're in a fellowship. And then all of a sudden, you know, everybody's like clean cut. Everybody has their shirt and tie on and a bunch of stinky hippies come walking in. And all of a sudden we block the doors. No, you can't come in here. You're stinky. You guys have long hair. You're women. You guys stink. You guys are nasty and you guys can't come in. And, you know, nope, this isn't for you. But look at these shiny people over here. Look, this guy, he has short hair clean cut look he's got his suit and tie on look at this woman over here she's you know has her long hair she you know makes herself presentable modestly dressed you know she that she you know everything's nice and look these are our shining examples but what you don't know is the husband's a sex head does his meth does his strippers does his stuff on the side and what you also don't know is that this woman is also a crackhead. This woman is also a tax cheat and embezzler. That's what you don't know. And meanwhile, these hippies are coming in. And yeah, on the outside, long hair, stinky, bad breath, women with armpit hair, you know, all these things. And you're saying that these other so-called people are the shining examples. And these other people, they love the Lord. And there's more fear of the Lord in them than these two examples you have. You see? No, it's inside the temple. Inside. I don't care how dirty, smelly, whatever. I don't care how bad your breath is. We get to wear masks now, so I don't get to smell your breath. I don't care how nasty or funky you are. You come to Christ. You come to Christ. You see? That's what's happening here in Corinth. That those who are approved or acceptable may be recognized or made shining among you. And remember, Paul says... When you come together, in verse 17, you come together, but not for the better. You come together for the worse. You see? Don't do that. No, you're, you're saying these guys are the shining examples. But the Bible says, no, this is what the pattern looks like. This is the pattern to emulate. Not what, you know, you say this guy's a shining example. You say this lady's a shining example. No, the shining example, the pattern that the Lord gives, not what you give, what the Lord gives, is the Pauls, is the Titus, is the Chloe's, is the Eunice's, is the Phoebe's, is the Lois, is the, you know, uh, Philip's. Therefore, in verse 20, therefore, when you come together in one place, notice uh, their assembly together as one in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Paul is saying you, you, you guys might have a meal, but you're not doing it right. 
They might say they're coming to have a meal, but you, you have to look at the fruit. What's the fruit? He says this in verse 20, verse 21. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry and another is drunk. So you have somebody who's craved. That's how it trends. One is hungry, one is craved, and another is drunk. So what do you have a picture of here? You have like in a fellowship, you have poor people and they're hungry. But then you have one who eats ahead of that person, uh, one who eats ahead of others, and then you have others who are getting drunk, they're getting intoxicated. Paul says, wait a second, you remember, you come together, verse 17, not for the better, but for the worse. He says in verse 22, what? What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? Do you despise, do you despise the ecclesia? and assembly of God, and shame those who have nothing, and disgrace and dishonor those who have nothing. It's the poor people. The poor people. Say, for example, in a church, you have wealthy people, and then you have poor people. And wealthy people can eat whatever they want, whenever they want. You got a $100 hamburger, no big deal. $300 steak, no big deal. You know, it's really no big deal. But then you have a poor person. They can't even afford a $3 hamburger or a dollar hamburger. And so you have this fellowship where people come together. And in this gathering, in this assembly, it's the wealthy people who have a means. They're the ones who eat first. They scramble, oh yeah, I'm hungry. And they start filling their plates and they have these loaded, loaded plates. And then they go sit off in their corner, yuck it up and start laughing. And they keep eating and now their bellies are nice and full. But the poor guy came into church hungry and he leaves church going home that night hungry. You see? What about considering the other as better than you? And if you're wealthy, if you have a means, when a $100 hamburger is no big deal, a $500 steak is no big deal, don't eat. Let the people eat. You see? The people say, oh, this is so good. This is so delicious. Rejoice. Rejoice with them. They're rejoicing because they have a good meal. Maybe they're poor. They can't afford these things. But you're also rejoicing because they can partake of these things. You see, that's what's happened. You know, the, 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 the wealthy people were getting all the food. The poor people would come and leave, come hungry and leave hungry. And Paul says here, or, do you despise the church of God? Do you despise the ecclesia and the assembly and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? You see, what, what do you expect Paul to say? What do you expect Paul to say of this, not just this work of the flesh, it is indeed a work of the flesh, but what do you expect Paul to say? If he were like the, not to suggest that he was, but if he were like the defunct pastors and defunct elders, he would say nothing. Just like they said, nothing. Because think of three years, arrested development, three years, and nothing has been said so far. Nothing has been said. Nobody said anything to the... You're like, hey, rich people, don't eat. 
you can go get your $500 steak. But this person can't even afford a, you know, a $2 hamburger. You can afford a $100 hamburger and not even finish it because you're full. Not even finish it. Maybe not because you're full. Maybe because you got to take a phone call, important phone call. So you take one bite and you don't want to finish it because it's cold. So they take it away. And you're like, wait, it's like a $100 hamburger. $100 is nothing to you. Don't eat. You know, let the poor people eat. You see? What should I say to you? That's what Paul says. What do you expect Paul to say? You expect him to say nothing? Because if he says nothing, then he himself is disobedient. That's why, you know, when you, when you, when you're, when you walk with the Lord, you have intimacy with the Lord. You can't keep silent. If you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a worship leader, if you're a, a youth leader, you can't keep silent. Because the Lord has called you into certain ministries specifically, not just to be a pattern, but specifically to speak the outpouring of your heart because He knows your heart. The outpouring of your heart. Do you expect Paul to say nothing? To be like the defunct pastors and the defunct elders who said nothing for three years? They wanted everybody, they wanted to be everybody's friend. Remember Paul, when you get into the... I'll read it. In um, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, this... Beautiful, beautiful pattern that the Lord has given. Beautiful, beautiful pattern by the name of Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offer. Remember, he's in, 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 in house arrest in Rome. He's dying. He's dying. He's an old man. He's dying. He says in verse 6, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Dimas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Christians, for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia in verse 11. Only Luke is with me. You see? Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry. And he starts to list all these names. But I find it sad in a worldly sense. Verse 11. Only Luke is with me. The closer you get to the Lord, the more intimacy you have with the Lord, the more lonely you will be. Only blank is with me. And maybe even nobody is with you. Maybe. But rejoice.
rejoice because you're in good company. It happened with Paul. It happened with Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos. All these beautiful people surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The closer you get to the Lord, the more lonely you will be. It's, it's how the Lord works. It's how the Lord works. Expect to be alone. It's, this world is not worthy of you. Because it's the world, it's fading. It's not worthy of you. And as Paul gave truth as a messenger, so too do you give truth if you serve the Lord in this teaching capacity. And even if you don't, you don't know how the Lord is going to use you tomorrow. Follow the pattern. So these things are happening in the church in Corinth. And verse 22 of chapter 11, 1 Corinthians. Do you despise the church of God, the ecclesia, the assembly? Everybody says today, you know, oh yeah, the assembly of the saints. Let, you know, uh, the assembly of the saints, you know, the, uh, do not forsake the assembly of the saints. That's what... A lot of pastors say that because they're running low on funds. People aren't tithing. They're not, they don't have the, you know, they're having a small fraction of people visit and, you know, tithing. And, oh, they, they fight the government now, you know. Yeah, we want to be obedient to government, but now that, you know, my bank account is getting lower and lower, now I'm going to fight the government. What's your motives? What's your motives? Don't forsake the assembly of the saints. Yes, it is biblically true. But even in the house of God, Christians forsake the assembly of the saints. How does that happen? Just what it says here in verse 22. Do you despise the church of God, the ecclesia, the assembly of God, and shame or disgrace and dishonor those who have nothing, the poor? What shall I say to you? What do you expect Paul to say? Shall I praise you in this? Shall I applaud you in this? Question mark. I do not praise you. Because this is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. It's not the Lord's Supper to, you know, to get fat and to get, you know, inebriated. It's holy. It's holy. This is something the defunct pastors and the defunct elders either forgot willfully or or no matter what, it's woefully. You see? And it caused great harm in the church. In verse 23, we read this once a month. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, 
Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Now remember, this is Corinth. Look at all the things, the, 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 the works of the flesh which were made evident in the church in Corinth. And now that the flesh has been dealt with, the carnal nature has been dealt with, anyone named a brother, the leaven has been dealt with. Let's not go back there, guys. It's like a stopgap that Paul is establishing here, a holy one. This partaking of the Lord's Supper, it's not just so you, it's not so you can eat, you know, and so you can have a nice meal, so your belly can be nice and fat, so, you know, you can get drunk. No, it's holiness unto the Lord. Drinking the, you know, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. You see? Self-inflicted, just like you read in the Old Testament. Self-inflicted. The Lord is reactionary. Remember? Old Testament, New Testament. The Lord is reactionary. He never changes. Never changes. He is reactionary. Not discerning the Lord's body, he says. Verse 30, For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And that's a big problem in the church today. Nobody likes to judge themselves. Nobody likes to discriminate themselves and discern and make this distinction and separation within themselves. Nobody likes to do it. And you have pastors, defunct, who teach such. Oh, don't be judgmental. Don't be judgmental upon yourself. You know, if it feels good, just do it. Whatever is your truth. I can't even call those people defunct. I call them hirelings. Potentially even wolves. But it comes at a huge cost for the church. Because you have an anemic body. And an anemic body without a head. Which is what? Death. No head. The head needs to be Christ. And with the head comes life. Submission unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In verse 32, But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. You see? We may not be condemned with the world. This condemnation, it's coming on the world. It's coming to the world. People might think you're crazy for saying that. That's nice. It's coming. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. You see, it's not like a madhouse, you know, like you, you're, you're, you're feeding the animals, lay out the food and people, all these rich people, they're going in eating on all the poor people. They come to church poor and then they leave church, they come to church hungry and they leave hungry. No, let them eat. Let them eat. Wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry or craves, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. Very interesting. Lest you come together for judgment, he says. Whoa, that's hardcore. 
That's hardcore. Let's assemble. Everybody's saying, you know, do not despise, uh, uh, don't forsake the assembly. They like to quote the, 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 the Bible. You know, they quote Hebrews 10, verse 25. Do not forsake the assembly. But even in the house of God, can we forsake the assembly ourselves? How does that happen? That's what we see here in verse 34. Lest you come together for judgment. Let's assemble, let's assemble, let's assemble. But how? How is the church assembling in these last days? In what manner of heart? In what manner of spirit? It's not the assembly for the sake of assembly. If it's not holy, if the assembly of the saints is not holy and holiness unto the Lord, then it's the assembly unto judgment. I know that's a hardcore statement, but I call it like I see it. Verse 34, Paul even says it himself, lest, lest you come together for judgment. Remember? In verse 22, shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. This isn't good. I do not applaud you for this. No, remember, judgment comes first in the house of God. And then he says here at the end of verse 34, and the rest I will set in order when I come. You see? And when he says to set in order is to arrange, to prescribe, and to command. And Paul says, when I come, I will set things in order. Today, today, the church, the saints, the assembly, the ecclesia is in desperate need of order, biblical order. A prescription, a heavenly prescription. Because what do you see in the church today? Just like in verse 30, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. And that's what you see in the church today. And many have died. The church, the ecclesia, the assembly is in desperate need of a return to holiness. But you know what's so beautiful about the remnant? The remnant has holiness. And the remnant will be made to shine even brighter as she is refined in these last days. God bless you guys. Love you guys.